I don't know where I learned this, but one of the things that I do when I think I'm going absolutely nuts, and there have been times I really did, and I would just kind of stop and say to myself, right here, right now, you're okay. You're all right. And um, I would just have to kind of do a, like a check. You're okay. And when the right here and right now is okay, I feel better just checking in on that kind of thing. It's just something I, I do. It's like a, my own health check or something. UC Health presents the Every Podcast series. We're taking our signature health and wellness events, celebrating all women and breaking it down into episodes where we'll speak with special guests and top experts on issues including insomnia, stress, relationships, life changes, and how to balance it all. Hosted by me, Gloria Neal. I'm a former anchor, reporter, and currently Director of Public Affairs for the City and County of Denver. We are here to help you live your best life physically as well as emotionally. Dee Jones lost her mother to COVID last May and has been living alone and diligently isolating since she herself is at high risk due to a compromised immune system. Dee's response to moments of hardship is quite amazing, but not all of us are able to do that. Dr. Kristen Orlowski is a licensed psychologist at UC Health. She works with patients who struggle with stress and anxiety. Her area of specialty is mindfulness and cognitive behavioral therapy to treat acute stress and anxiety, as well as coping mechanisms for dealing with life from day to day. Things we all struggle with. Now, Kristen, the phrase, it's okay to not be okay, is commonly used in discussions around stress and anxiety and really other mental health issues. So, Kristen, I even struggle with this sometimes. What's the difference between anxiety and stress? Sure. So those those terms are often used interchangeably. Stress can be something that can be positive or negative, and it can be short or long-term in nature. So people can feel stressed because they're preparing for labor, and that's a very stressful situation, but also (laughs) a very positive situation. Um, But they can feel stressed because they're preparing for their wedding or they're preparing for a job interview. Um, But it can also be negative, like they just lost their home, right, or something tragic happened. And so the difference really between stress and anxiety is how impairing it is. Stress can be um, positive or negative. Mm-hmm. So I think of stress, too, sometimes like relatives at Thanksgiving. <laughs> you know, Sure, sure. Right? <laughs> and anxiety. So the level of impairment and how long it lasts. So mm-hmm. when you're talking about symptoms of anxiety, you're talking about symptoms that are more significant and impairing to functioning. Okay. And so it, it tends to be just a little bit more chronic and persistent in nature. And and to feel symptoms of anxiety, there aren't always really any obvious stressors. You can have anxiety without having any obvious stressful event occurring in that moment. But some of the symptoms, and I think this is why the terms are used so interchangeably, Mm -hmm. um, because some of the symptoms really are very, very, very similar, right? So think of symptoms like if you're stressed, you are more likely to be irritable. You're more likely to have sleep disruption, like having a hard time falling or staying asleep. You might notice that you have increased respirations or heart rate. Um, and that's some of those are the same with symptoms of anxiety. So generalized anxiety 
would include symptoms like worry or nervousness, irritability, uh, difficulty concentrating, muscle tension, restlessness, feeling overwhelmed. So a lot of the, the symptoms feel very similar. It really is just a difference of how impairing it is to your functioning. Wow. So it can last longer, too. Absolutely. It wow. can. They're an automatic response, like a reflex. Whatever you're feeling in the moment, if it's triggered by the current situation, that's normal. I hear women telling me all the time about how uncomfortable it feels to start crying in the middle of the grocery store line, and they have no idea why, and it's because they spent so much time trying to ignore the feeling or push through it. Right. And sometimes people, and I've had my doctor tell me this, people downplay stress. Oh, it's just stress. It really doesn't lead to any long-term health problems, but it does. Absolutely, it does. So the mind and body are so intertwined and connected, it's hard to separate the two. You can't just walk around with all that crap on your back and think that you're going to be all healthy and jovial and your blood pressure is not going to go up or your heart's not going to, you know, speed up. Everything responds to everything inside your body. That's why when you're experiencing symptoms of stress, you have an increased heart rate. You breathe faster. um, You might start to sweat a little bit, right? You can become a little bit shaky. You can experience hand tremors. Um, and and again, if those symptoms start to feel so significant and impairing, that's when it starts to lead towards symptoms of anxiety. What are some of the key signs between normal levels when it is crossing the line between being too much? How do you know it's like, okay, I'm okay, I'm okay, and you need to take your butt to the doctor? So a person with a normal level of stress might be able to acknowledge feelings of stress, but are typically able to continue meeting the demands of their everyday life. Mm -hmm. They're likely not experiencing any impairment or reduced functioning, and some people might even thrive with mild to moderate levels of stress. Okay. So if the stress is negatively affecting your job or relationships, for example, those are signs that it's escalating. Mm -hmm. Other signs that could indicate too much stress could include changes to sleep, increased use of substances like drugs or alcohol use increased unhealthy coping or impulsive behaviors. And so if you think about, you know, sleep, where your sleep has gone from, I'm sleeping pretty good, to, you know what, I sleep, but I wake up two hours and it takes me an hour to get back to sleep, and that becomes habitual. Mm-hmm. And we say, well, you know, that's okay. My Maybe my body's just changing. All these excuses, your body has given you all kinds of clues. It's, hey, I need you to wake up and pay attention and take care of this because this is not good. Right, and it's not normal. If you go from sleeping, you know, anywhere between six to eight hours a night and you're able to fall asleep and stay asleep throughout the night and you wake up in the morning, you feel rested, that's good, that's normal. And if all of a sudden you're having a hard time falling asleep or you're having a hard time staying asleep or you're waking up really early and you can't fall back asleep, that's a really good sign that something's going on that's causing some stress and it would be helpful to take a look at that. The body is such an ingenious mechanism if we would only listen. Absolutely. And our minds and our brains, we, we don't want to tolerate stress. It's hard to tolerate stress, but our bodies don't lie. Our bodies are going to let us know how we're feeling, and it's important for us to pay attention to that so we can do something about it. Absolutely. How do you deal with something you cannot see, right? And maybe that's why we think of anxiety and even stress as something that is minimal because we can't see it. A lot of times people think, you know, you can't see stress. It's not really that big of a deal, but it is a big deal, isn't it? You know, even though it's intangible, it's a big deal. You've got some really good personal techniques to managing stress. What are they? Sure. So sleep is my number one. Mm -hmm. If I'm not sleeping, I know that everything else is going to feel 
more challenging to me. So ideally, my body likes nine hours of sleep. I can guarantee I haven't really received that since having children. <laughs> uh, but I do try to at least shoot for about seven or eight hours a night really consistently because if I'm not sleeping well, everything, again, just feels more challenging to me. Mm-hmm. I also really try to prioritize regular exercise like three to five days a week if I can. And I try not to put pressure on myself to get in that full hour if I don't have time. Mm -hmm. It's more important to me that I just get it in, right? So if I oversleep, for example, or if I just run out of time during the evening, if all I have is 20 minutes, I really try to just make use of that time. And I also find it's really important for me to just pay attention to what my body needs. So some days I really need that run and I really need that more vigorous cardio exercise. And other days, I really just need some restorative yoga. I need to do some stretching. I need to be in the moment with my breath. And that's more important to me. Mm -hmm. Other things that I really try to prioritize to manage my stress is I really need to spend time with my family. They're my support system. I feel more grounded when I'm with them. And I know that just spending time with my family is going to help me feel better. How does breathing, just stopping and saying, I'm just going to breathe, breathe in and breathe out, focusing on that, does that help? Absolutely. So much of our anxiety is about what we don't have control over, right? We're living in the past or we're living in the future. And when you just stop for the moment and you practice just being present in the moment, you can focus on your breath and that's something you have control over. So it really can help to contain those symptoms of stress or those symptoms of anxiety pretty effectively. And what's the importance of a support system? It's, it's really, really important when you look at research related to trauma or mm-hmm. other stressful events. The support system is one of the most critical pieces to being able to effectively cope with that. Right. So it's really important to, to use your friends, to use your family, to use the community as a support. As women, our female relationships are so powerful and they're really important for us to maintain. Now, I think about some of the stuff that I do or try to do, and I don't do it enough, but massages. I do that or I do, you know, a facial or something like that. Is that what you mean when you say pleasurable activities to to look forward to on a regular basis? And that's why I struggle, that regularity. Mm -hmm. Yep. It's the consistency that matters. So that could be one example, but it could be also things like going out for a walk, spending time with your family, playing with your pet, Mm -hmm. going for a hike, going out snowboarding, doing the things that just bring you enjoyment um, and where you can sort of let go of some of the things that are causing you some distress. Yeah, absolutely. But let me ask you this, where some people see stress as like, oh, it is the kiss of death. I don't need all of this extra drama. And then there are others who see chaos as a ladder and they prosper as a result of all of that chaos and they cope and deal with it in a much more significant way. They see it as opportunity. Mm -hmm. And is that because of their genetic makeup allows them to clear out all of that sound and noise. Uh, What is that? It just seems like they're wired differently. And I think that is part of the answer. So, you know, people perceive stress differently and people have different thresholds of stress. So like like we were saying before, people are able to tolerate stress at, at various levels. So some people are just more adapt sort of by nature to, to handle things like that. Um, but their perception of stress also is different. So the same event, for example, could be could cause one person a high level of stress while another person maybe a moderate level of stress. And in the moderate level of stress range, we most of us do tend to thrive under under those conditions. People sometimes are able to really just chunk things out and look at specific things, one thing at a time, and really coming at it from a solution-focused perspective. 
Wow. That's really interesting because it's almost like they put it in different modules, mm-hmm. right? I'm going to put this over here, put that over here. That's not really as urgent. Dr. Orlowski, can you talk more about some of the techniques you use with patients to deal with anxiety? Is there anything that worked well for Dee to help reduce her anxieties? Sure. So there are several different interventions that we might think to use uh, for people who are suffering from symptoms of anxiety or stress. Things like cognitive interventions, mindfulness, grounding techniques, relaxation training, all of those can be really useful tools. Okay. So let's start with cognitive interventions. How does that look? It's the ability to evoke change in a person's thought process. It's really trying to challenge ourselves to reframe our perspective um, and change the way that we think about a certain event or circumstance. Hmm. Interesting. So in many ways, you're rewiring, helping them to rewire how they think about something. For example, reframing our thoughts can help us from preventing our thoughts to spiral. Mm -hmm. And reframing can help to take back control over our thoughts and our feelings. Okay. So like when you feel, you know, out of control, when you feel turbulence on a plane. So you can say, oh, no, no, no. That's a normal feeling. Do not, do not freak out. You want to maintain control. Look around. Is anybody else panicking? These are normal sounds. Stuff like that. So you just gave the example of turbulence on an airplane. Mm -hmm. So it's important for you to start to challenge those thoughts. Okay, do I have any evidence that could support that that is actually true? Is that a rational thought or is that an irrational thought? Or is it probably more realistic that something else is causing the plane to behave this way? Right. Mm -hmm. Right. That's absolutely right. Okay, so then the next one, mindfulness exercises. What is that? A lot of people, when they think about mindfulness, they think straight about meditation. And and it can be meditation. Um, But really, the idea behind mindfulness is the practice of just being present, being in the moment. And that can look like all kinds of different things. But one thing that I think can be really, really helpful when practicing mindfulness is just doing frequent check-ins, taking a minute or two out of every hour or so, depending on what, what your schedule looks like. For example, I see eight patients a day. So it's really easy for me to take one or two minutes in between every patient to just close my eyes, take a few cleansing breaths and ask myself, how am I doing? How am I doing physically, mentally, emotionally? And is there any need I can take care of right now? Maybe all that it is, is I'm feeling dehydrated and I need to drink some water. I need to get up and move my body and stretch my legs. I've been sitting for too long, right? But finding time throughout your day in a way that makes sense. So whether that means when you wake up in the morning and then mid-morning, lunch, mid-afternoon, dinner, before you go to bed, like finding some time during your day where it can be consistent and routine, as long as you're practicing mindfulness frequently throughout the day, again, to just take a moment to check in, to be present with yourself and to ask yourself truly, how are you doing and what can you do to take care of yourself? That is amazing because, again, you may have felt it, but you didn't know what you were feeling and you may have thought something's not quite right. But I just it wasn't a bad day, but I just feel so overwhelmed. It is so true. You don't take time for yourself, but you take time for everybody else. Grounding exercises. What is that about the grounding? Tell me that. So grounding techniques are a really great strategy. Again, bringing yourself back into the present moment, into the here and now. It really, really helps to reduce more acute states of anxiety um, or panic symptoms, especially. So what that can look like are things like using your senses. So if someone is having a panic attack, um, I've been on the phone with someone having a panic panic attack at home. And what I've asked them to do is put, put their coat on, put their shoes on and get outside, go for a walk. And what I ask them to 
to do when they're going for a walk is I say, can you just use your senses, pay attention to your surroundings and just describe in really great detail, what are you seeing around you? What do you hear around you? What are you smelling? Do you see cars passing by? Do you hear construction workers? Do you smell barbecue? that someone's making for lunch, right? What are you seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching as you go for that walk outside? Changing the scenery can be really, really helpful because it gives you something else to focus on. It helps you be present. And focusing on things that you absolutely know with certainty are true, like your senses, they're factual-based things. They're very grounding and, and can help to reduce that significant overstimulation of emotion when you're in a state of acute anxiety. Usually I am having a stressful moment or I am sleepy or not feeling my sharpest. When I get outside, smell the air, it's brisk. I am moving my arms, my legs. It does something to your mind and body that it just like rejuvenates, right? Changes perspectives. There are things that just like it opens up your veins. New thoughts come in. It just does something that brings you back. Absolutely. It grounds you. It brings you back to the moment, right? Back back to the here and now. So like we were saying before, a lot of the anxiety is about things that have happened already or things that might happen in the future. Grounding helps to bring us back into the present moment. And just like you were saying, you sometimes you smell the roses, you, you take in what's going on in your environment, and that is an example of a grounding exercise. So there's one exercise called the 54321 exercise. And essentially, it's doing sort of like what, what you just described. It's getting outside, using your senses. And you start out by just naming five things and then four and then three and Mm. just be specific as you can to describe what you're hearing or seeing, smelling, tasting or feeling. Other types of grounding techniques might include repeating calming mantras. Um, It really gives your brain something positive to focus on. So think of a mantra that makes you feel empowered and Mm. just continuously repeat that mantra in your head when you feel like your anxiety is taking over. So things that I might say to myself when I'm feeling stressed are I'm strong, I'm worthy, I'm okay, I can do this, Mm -hmm. safe, relaxed, things that just help you feel empowered and just present in the moment. Well, you're saying I am worthless. Oh, my gosh, I've done this wrong or I'm, you know, it really does help you say, no, 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 I'm good. You know, mistakes do not define me or all of those things because we can really, you know, beat ourselves up pretty good. And then the last one that you uh, you mentioned was relaxation training. Now, what is that? Those are exercises that are really great because they can be practiced almost anywhere and anytime. There's been recently a huge increase in the use of apps like Calm or Headspace for the purpose of relaxation and meditations. Mm -hmm. When I'm working with patients on relaxation training, I walk them through three different exercises, primarily a deep breathing exercise, a progressive muscle relaxation exercise, and then a guided meditation. I personally find um, deep breathing is something that you would incorporate in any relaxation exercise. And again, is something you can do anywhere, whether you're in the car and you're experiencing some road rage situation. Um, during a job interview, could be any situation. Practicing that deep breathing can be really helpful. So I start with the deep breathing, several minutes of deep breathing. I'll follow that up with the progressive muscle relaxation, and then I'll end with a guided meditation because I find that I need to relax my body if I want my mind to relax. Again, there's that mind-body connection, right? I'm not going to be able to relax my mind if my body is feeling really tense. You know, I do think we would be a better work nation if we had a relaxation hour built into our workday. Wouldn't that be great? It would be (laughs) awesome. I think we would be, you would see huge productivity spikes and mental health spikes. You know, and that's something that I, I recommend pretty frequently to some of my patients, especially during this last year, during the middle of the pandemic, and people have been working remotely. Mm-hmm. 
People have been working harder and longer hours than ever before, and they don't have the commute to work or the the commute home from work to process through their day and other things. They don't have that time. They're just sitting on their couch and they're working, right? Right. Um, And so what I've been recommending is is, um, to help improve focus, to help improve concentration, to help improve that time efficiency and productivity. Take a break every once an hour, even for just two minutes. Right. Get up, move your body, get some fresh air, go look out the window. Just take a few minutes to yourself. And when you come back, you're going to be more focused and you're going to be more productive and more efficient with your time. So that's really important. Right. It is. And you think, no, 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 I'm at home. You know, this is good. But when you do it, you're like, oh, my gosh, it does make a difference. It does. Yeah. I I have patients who are really surprised and are like, you know, I was so resistant to just getting up and taking that break. But once I did, what a difference. It made. According to the American Psychological Association, or APA, who conducted a recent survey on the impact of COVID on stress levels in the United States, get this, 67% of Americans have experienced increased stress levels over the course of the pandemic. Boy, that's a no-brainer. Nearly one in five adults say their mental health is worse than it was at this time last year. Parents in particular are experiencing an increase in stress, with 46% saying their stress levels are between 8 and 10 on a scale of 1 to 10. This is in large part due to the added burden of having to help their kids who are doing schoolwork from home while also working full-time from home themselves. Up next... Dr. Orlowski is going to share her advice on creating a good work-life balance. Back in a moment. You know, Kristen, when you talk about work-life balance, so many times I think, is there such a thing? I mean, you know, I know we can have it all, but we just can't have it all at once. Is that true with work-life balance? How can we do that with everything that we're doing? Um, It can be really helpful to maintain a consistent routine and having some structure. So routine related to our sleep schedule, our meal times, our exercise times but also our work schedule if possible, yeah. if it can be routine, um, and and creating some space. So some of the things that I've been working on with people are really helping to create change in the space, helping to create some boundaries and some distinction between work and home life. So for example, is there an office or is there a separate room that you can go into and that's just where you go to work and yeah. when you're done, you're done and you don't have to look at your laptop or your computer for the rest of the time, you know, when you're spending time with your family in the evening. A lot of times the commute makes a really big difference. So when you're going into work, you have that time for yourself. Mm -hmm. You have, even if it's just a few minutes, you have the time to yourself to think through whatever it is that you need to think through. But working remotely, it's important to establish that time as well as though you were commuting home. So maybe that means at the end of a workday, you take 15 minutes where you're blocking your time after work to just sit with yourself. Let yourself process the day's events. Let yourself think about whatever you need to think about so that when you leave that room, that dedicated space in your home, if you're working remotely and you're joining your family or Mm -hmm. when you're entering into your personal time for the evening, that you feel clear-headed and you can feel present and focused. A lot of times folks will say, you know, working from home, it's good and it's bad because I'm getting more done, but I'm working longer. And so... All of that, setting these boundaries is so important because, yeah, we're more productive because many ways we're working longer. 
we're working longer, but you're also more comfortable, right? You're able to be more comfortable in your comfortable space mm -hmm. and you're more productive when you're comfortable. So um, I think it's a matter of making sure that you're establishing those boundaries because you probably don't need to work all those extra hours. Um, but, you know, also communicating, communicating with your boss, communicating with your director to really get a sense of what the expectations are so that you all can be clear about that and that you're not working yourself too hard and creating some burnout. Absolutely. Absolutely. That is such a good point, Kristen. Now, while what we're going through right now is unprecedented and may be causing some people more stress and anxiety than usual, what do you recommend for dealing with the normal ups and downs of life? Sure. So it sounds kind of cliche to say, but I feel like that's where life happens. It's in all of the ups and the downs. And if we can just sort of anticipate that that's a part of life and that's going to happen, then we have a better capacity to really just deal with those stressors as they come up. Mm -hmm. That's absolutely right, because, you know, either you're going into something or you're coming out of something. Women often put a lot of pressure on themselves to be that perfect, right? To have the perfect this and the blah, blah, that. And so, in fact, according to a Kaiser Family Foundation poll, get this, women and mothers are experiencing more stress from the pandemic than men. Women are often the caretakers of the family, as well as aging parents. And I mean, you add on all the other stuff, the work, the cooking, the, you know, a lot of traditional roles are still, you know, in the woman category. And I'm not, you know, dismissing men. I know we love our husbands, our brothers, our, you know, there are things that men do and contribute as well, but there are a lot of it. Dee, the UC health patient who shared her story, discussed how she dealt with grieving her mother by speaking to you, Dr. Orlowski, let's take a listen. Well, she helped because she's really a fantastic person. And then also just having someone to touch base with. And she was kind of a contact person where I, I can just speak about what was happening to me. And I didn't have to be the caretaker. She was able to help me. You know, like when I would talk to my daughters, they were grieving too, and I'm the mom. So Dr. O was somebody who could really be objective and listen to me and be there for me. Dee was able to reach out and get help, but not everyone feels comfortable doing that. I have certainly sought out therapy because you need help. I mean, when you are running on fumes and empty, it is very important to say, I need some help. That takes strength, right? It it takes strength because I think it's very important to be able to say, can you help me get over this hump? I may not need you for long or I may need you for long, but I recognize I need help. That's That takes courage. That takes a lot of courage and it's a big step to make and it's important to acknowledge that, to acknowledge that that is a big step. And if you're feeling really, really overwhelmed and you feel like the stress is starting to affect your relationships or your job or other important areas, it's just not necessary for you to have to deal with that all by yourself. I mean, right. if you can, if you if you feel like your normal coping mechanisms are getting you along and they're getting you by, then, then great. But if those same coping skills are no longer effective for you, then we need to bump it up. We need something else to help change. Absolutely. How can we help a friend or a partner or, um, you know, even a loved one, whether they are young or old, when they are dealing with anxiety or stress or even when they're not, but we see it before 
they do. They're snapping at us. They're constantly in a bad mood. They've gained a lot of weight. They, you know, they are just not dealing with it. How do we know whether to be supportive, whether to use tough love, whether suggest to them to seek a professional, um, you know, a therapist or even say, I'll go with you. How do we know how to broach that? I've had some patients recently approach me and ask, you know, I'm really concerned about my girlfriend or my wife or my boyfriend or husband or um, about my child even. Mm-hmm. I'm really concerned about them and I don't know if I if if I, there's anything I can do to help them feel better, if they even recognize that they're not doing well. And my response is talk about it. Yeah. Just bring it up. Have a conversation. Bring up your concerns. Let them know what you've noticed in in a respectful, mindful manner. Um, you know, you want to be empathizing and empathetic towards the situation so that they're not offended by it. So bringing it up in a gentle way, but just to acknowledge that you have concerns and that you're there to, to provide some support and listen if that's all that they need. Now, I am going to sum up Dr. Orlowski's top five takeaways for managing stress and anxiety. It is okay not to be okay. If there's one thing you remember, remember that. Accept that you don't always have to be happy or strong. Number two, when dealing with anxiety, try to focus on factual evidence, Gloria, when you get on the plane. (laughs) And things you can control and things you cannot control. Number three, practice self-care, good sleep, exercise, grace. Remember, you can't take care of others unless you take care of yourself. Number four, try mindfulness techniques to combat anxiety and stress. And finally, number five, try to structure your time and create routines to follow, but do not put pressure on yourself to be perfect. Remember that nobody is perfect. So don't do that to yourself. This was very, very insightful. (laughs) Learned a lot today and absolutely love spending time with you. Thank you. To follow up on today's episode, you can check out our show notes at www.uchealth.org forward slash every. And that's E-V-R-E. To find out more about today's expert, you can visit www.uchealth.org. Thank you for joining us. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, and iHeartRadio. To find out more about our subject today, you can visit us at uchealth.org forward slash every. Every is produced by UC Health. Until next time, stay safe and thank you.